0: Well, we've been going through a series on men and women of the Bible, and we've been looking at, really, these examples of the faith, these individuals that God has given us in his word th- that give us a picture of what it looks like to walk out faith in God. And so we talked about Adam, and we've talked about Eve, we've talked about Sarah and Moses, and today we're going to look at the life of this guy named Joseph. Joseph is, is a pretty dynamic individual, so much so that there are movies about him there's a our cartoon, Prince of Egypt. I didn't watch it. I don't know how accurate it is. Maybe it's accurate. We'll see. Um, but, but his life is a uniquely dynamic life that, that has a really... Uh, sharp arc. You know, he, things are going well, and then it just goes real bad for a, a good number of years, and then he's brought up to even higher heights. It's, it's very dramatic, theatrical, but there's something about his life that speaks to the fact that God has a purpose for us, not only in the good times, but in the bad times. God has a purpose for us, not only uh, in our good, but when evil co- comes into our life. And so I wanted to reflect on his life and consider what it looks like um, to live like him, and to live in light of the fact that God is our God, not just Joseph's God. Now, I, I didn't want to assume that we all are familiar with his life, but if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to know more, you could read through uh, Genesis chapters thirty-seven through fifty. Um, it's not as long as it sounds, and and I'm just going to give you a quick rundown. Now, at the age of seventeen, we we kind of step into. Joseph's life, if this is a movie, it starts when he's 17. He's one of the youngest uh, of, of a family of, of several boys, lots of boys, and he comes from a family where, where there are some challenges with, with deceit and with, with uh, favoritism. And so we see at the age of 17 that, that he's kind of a, a bit of a punk. He, his, his brothers don't like him because he He rats them out when they're doing things that are wrong, and that's, you know, you should certainly tell your parents, children, if one of your siblings isn't doing something right, but there's just something about him that's a little bratty, and his brothers really don't like him. And not only that, there's something that's kind of proud in him. He has these two dreams. Uh, He's, he's, let me step back, he's the favorite son It says, it actually says this, that he's the favorite son of his father, so much so that his dad goes down to Nordstrom and buys them this super cool, you know, multicolored paisley blazer, right? And his brothers are just getting stuff from Walmart, you know, polyester blue blazers, and they're going to church, and they're just looking at him, like, what is going on? And and Jacob is like, look, look at my son. Isn't he great? I love him. this This boy, he's the, the, he's the boy of my, my old age. You know, I'm super old, but, but I had this guy, and he, isn't he handsome? Doesn't he look good? And the other brothers are like, mm, I hate that guy. And, I, and, and it, the Bible uses that terminology. They, they hate him. To make matters worse, Joseph has these prophetic dreams as a 17-year-old. And you know, most 17-year-olds, very, very discerning young men and women very mature and so as a discerning young man he goes to the breakfast table and says had this crazy dream where you guys were worshiping me what do you think of that and the brothers obviously loved that they celebrated his prophetic dream and they you know tell us more tell us more joseph no they were angry they did not like to hear this um Dad was listening, and then Joseph said, you know what? And and as a matter of fact, it was a weird night. Uh, Had pizza the night before, and I had two dreams. And the second one, mom and dad, you were the sun and moon, and you guys started worshiping me as well, bowing down to me as well. And and so dad kind of looks sideways and says, what, us two? And he even gets a little bit frustrated. And, And so we see that that Joseph is, is kind of creating this situation where there's, there's some serious division. Now, Jacob, his father, has, has really laid the foundation for the division in the family by having a favorite. Uh, and I mean, completely really unrelated to the main point of this topic, but parents don't have favorites. It's not a good thing. It doesn't go well. And we see that through several of the patriarchs. Now, because his brothers hated him and were jealous, they considered killing him, but instead they sold him into slavery. And we can read about that in Genesis 37. They sold him into slavery, which is kind of drastic, but this is the level of hatred that they had for this guy. So imagine being Joseph, you're 17, you think that your parents are going to uh, bow down to you, your brothers are going to bow down to you, you, you're pretty, you think you're a pretty big deal and your brothers take you out into the wilderness and they, they put you in a pit and then sell you off into slavery. Life is not good. They, but even though they sell him into slavery, he, he ends up rising in prominence in Egypt in the, in, in the service of this guy named Potiphar, one of the officers of Pharaoh. And so he's rising up, he's doing well. Uh, I'll read some of the language in Genesis uh, chapter 39 that talks just really glowingly about how well he's doing. 39 chapter 6. Um, chapter two, uh, 39, verse two. The Lord was with Joseph and, and he had become a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had caused him all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer over of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So even though he had been sold into slavery, he finds himself being promoted and promoted and promoted to the point that he's leading this household of this guy named Potiphar. Things couldn't be going, any you know, they're going so well, and, and then this lady comes, Potiphar's wife, and says, you know what, buddy? You're, I like that sweater of yours. I like, that, I like that jacket of yours. Let's go have a conversation. And so she begins to pursue him, in an inappropriate way, time after time after time, day after day after day, and he constantly actually says no to her. So he's put in under, under pressure, he's got some, some authority, he's got some prominence, and in the middle of that he still is being obedient to God and, and says no to the point that one day when no one's around, he, she, she tries again, says, you know, let's c- come spend some time with me, and uh, kind of grabs his jacket, and he freaks out and runs away, leaves the jacket behind. Great job, except for the fact that she now goes to the authorities and and accuses him of inappropriate behaviors. And so he ends up in jail. So his life goes from almost being awesome to being terrible again. And so he spends some time in jail, and and we see in in chapter 41 that even in jail, he's able to rise and have favor. And so he he rises up in the ranks uh, in prison. Um, and he in- interprets two more dreams. So some other guys have dreams. These other guys who are in prison, a cupbearer and, and a, a baker, I think it is, and uh, he interprets their dreams. One is a good dream, the other is a bad dream. One, is, one person is gonna be freed from, from prison, the cupbearer, and the other guy is gonna lose his head, literally. And that is an unfortunate truth. It happens, he, he dies, and the other guy gets freed, and, and Joseph says, yes, you're gonna tell the Pharaoh about me, and I'm gonna get free and instead, the cupbearer forgets him. And so for two more years, knowing that he had, he had risen to prominence, he had been falsely accused, he's in prison, he's helped these people, these two guys, the guy got free because of him. And yet he's still in jail. And he's in jail for two more years. And then Pharaoh has some dreams. So we see two years later, Pharaoh has these two dreams that basically we find out, foretell that there's going to be a famine. And, the, and it's finally in this moment, the cupbearer is like, oh yeah, there's this guy, Joseph. He can interpret dreams. And so Joseph gets freed from prison and interprets the dreams and becomes the second in command in Egypt. And that is the situation that he finds himself in. Then the famine comes Joseph excellently administrates the, the nation of Egypt. They become rich because of all their resources, all the surrounding areas come to them, ask for resources, beg for resources, sell their land, give their property, give all of these things, and, and Egypt grows as a result of Joseph's uh, excellence and his favor before God. And he's reunited with his brothers who come asking for food, and they find out, oh, Joseph is in charge. And so we see In chapter 45, Joseph finally revealing who he is to his brothers, it says in verse 1, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians could hear it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? And so it goes on that that Joseph is reunited with his brothers. He he gets to see his father and his little brother, Benjamin, and and things are looking good. And then Joseph's dad dies. And so that is where we find ourselves as we open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. We're gonna read this together, and we're gonna listen to see what God has for us. If you could stand. We're gonna read... Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants of the God of your fathers. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I am in the face of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord, let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are a God who is bigger not only than the good things in our life but the bad things in our life. That your purpose encompasses all the things that happen. That even though we might find ourselves in situations where we are wronged, where we experience trials and tribulations, that you are still accomplishing your purposes in our life. God, we worship you for your vast sovereignty. The fact that you are a king who is able to do what he intends and that you are a savior who is able to save those who call out for mercy. Lord, help us to see Joseph, to see ourselves in the the brothers. Help us to to come to you the ultimately wounded healer in the same way that the brothers came to Joseph. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for sticking with me through the, the recap. It's a long recap. It's a lot of chapters and it's, it's a lot of details. I, I just didn't want to assume that we were all on the same page. So we see that Jacob has, has died, and the brothers do something that I mean it, it's it, it's humorous, I guess, in one sense, they they freak out. They understand that, that the dad was probably the the, the stopgap, he was the the dam that was preventing the waters of rage to come from Joseph in their mind. And they say this listen to their words. It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. See, what's interesting is that what we read in, or what we talked about in, in chapter 45 is that when, when he comes to the brothers and he reveals himself, he could have killed them in that moment. There were many moments where he could have just thrown them into prison. I mean, he had created these moments, these, these opportunities to to really to frame them i mean at one point he he they come to buy grain and he takes the money or has the guy who's dealing with them take the money and put it back in their packs so that they leave and he falsely has them falsely accuse him of stealing that money and there are these moments where where joseph could have done a lot in in revenge toward the brothers and yet he does not and yet still years later after he's been providing for them and caring for them they come and they say, oh, he might hate us. He might hate us. We don't have a record that, that Jacob said any of these things, in fact, uh, that, that he said, you know, Father has said us, told us that, that you should forgive. We don't know that that's the case. It, it may be that, that he said that and it's just not recorded. It's more likely probably that they're making it up and saying, hey, Dad said don't hurt us, you know, as siblings are tending to do. But they saw that, that this was a problem. And, and it's interesting that they hated their brother. That was the sin that was kind of weighing on them. They had hated their brother to the point of trying to kill him. And really, Reuben, the oldest, had, had stopped them from killing him. And, and so they, they sold him into slavery. But they had expressed so much hate and carried so much hate around for years and years and years and years, and years that even after they'd been forgiven even after they had been cared for by Joseph, they could see nothing but the fact that they had hated him so much, and so they just assumed: if if I hate him so much, surely he's going to hate me. Surely he's going to hate me. They saw their need finally as well. You know, it, it's it's here that we see them confessing. They say, uh, "Surely." Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did. We don't have a record before that of them saying what they had done was evil. So finally, they're, they're having to r- deal with the fact of their evil. Now, they had known it before, but, but they're being put face-to-face with it, with, with Jacob being out of the picture. Now, and so we, we see that they're, they're begging and they're asking for mercy. And how does, how's, how does Joseph respond this is, this is the million-dollar question. How is Joseph going to respond? Now, I know how I would respond. I would have stopped in chapter 45, and I would have handled it. You know, I'm, I'm second in command in Egypt. These guys sold me into slavery? No. No, they're done. Now, the... You know, maybe I might have a, a moment of kindness and send them into prison instead of having them executed that That would be my magnanimous action. But if it were me, I think I would have tried to take the 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 route of revenge and and I think that there's something inside all of us that demands that kind of justice and revenge. I mean you look at most movies. that that, that kind of grip you, and and a lot of them are, they're just revenge stories. I mean, you you dress it up with, someone did something really terrible, but the the picture that's given is a world where there's no justice unless you pursue justice on your own, you know, that's that's Batman. That's all of Batman, is revenge. You know, his backstory is that people were mean to him, and I don't mean to minimize Batman's, you know, fictional, terrible life. (laughs) It's fictional, but it is terrible. But his whole life is motivated by what? Revenge. And what's interesting is that the Bible will challenge our self-righteousness. You know, there's so many times where, where we will think, my anger is righteous anger. And God will say, mm, maybe not. You know, this person deserves such and such. Maybe that's true, but it doesn't mean it needs to come by your hand. So how does, how does Joseph respond? He has nearly complete power, and he understands that he's not going to be punished for anything that he does. I mean, he's got these guys you know, in the palm of his hand. This was a moment to reveal Joseph's real character and what he trusted in. Right? This was a moment for unveiling his worldview. Again, to go back to Batman, Batman the Batman worldview is a worldview where God is not around. The worldview where where a person has to take things into his or her own hands is a worldview that says, there is no God to vindicate me. There is no God to bring justice. Or, God is not just, he is not righteous. See, that's the problem with revenge, is that it says something about God's ability to handle things, and it says something about the righteousness of God. This was a moment to reveal something about Joseph's real character. And, and what's interesting about Joseph's life is there, there have been two moments where his, his character is put on display. The first moment is when he goes through this dip. Again, you have brothers, you've done really nothing wrong except for being a normal 17 year old who gets some weird dreams. I mean, I, you know, it wasn't great that he was bragging to his brothers and his parents, but that's, that's kind of what 17 year olds do. If you give them a cookie, they'll eat it. Um, if you're a 17 year old, I love you. You're great. Um don't be like Joseph was at 17. But he, he goes through this dip, and in the dip, his character is revealed, right? Who he trusts is revealed. Uh, when he's in Potiphar's house, who he trusts is revealed. He says, in fact, to Potiphar's wife, uh, when she tries to, to, you know, have some sort of inappropriate relationships with him, um, he says, I, I can't sin against my master and to God, I can't sin against God. He recognizes that God is there to both protect and vindicate him and though no one else is paying attention to his character, God is paying attention to his character. So that is the first place that his character is being put on display and this is the second place. You know, you've heard the phrase absolute power corrupts absolutely. This is a place where the question of what are you gonna do given all the power that you have? And what does he do? Look at verse uh, Seventeen. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His father had died. His obligation to, to protect his brothers because of his father was fulfilled, if that was a thing, if there was any sort of obligation there. And yet, when, when they come to him and they say, please don't hurt us, please don't kill us, please have mercy on us, he weeps, why is that? Let's look at verse, let's look at chapter 45 again. When he sees his brothers finally, after he's, he's determined not to pursue them in revenge, he says, make everyone go out, he's weeping. He says, I am Joseph, come near to me. I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years and there are yet five years in which they will be near, neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So listen to this. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord to all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt hurry and go to my father and say to him thus says your son Joseph god has made me lord over all Egypt come down over all Egypt come down to me and do not tarry so in chapter 45 years before this moment he says to them i forgive you don't don't feel bad about it. don't feel bad about it i mean how many times have you had an argument with someone and you said i forgive you but secretly you're like i hope you feel bad You know, I'm saying I forgive you in part to help you feel bad. But he says, no, I don't want you to feel bad. I I don't want you to feel bad. Don't feel bad. Because God had a plan and it was his purpose. It was the right thing for me to come here. Some really bold statements about suffering in this moment. He doesn't deny the evil that happens, but he says, you know what? God's plan, it encompassed your evil. And it was, it was purposeful. And so flip back to chapter 50 and we see that he weeps because in the time between then and now, they still don't get it. He is, he's poured out love and love and love and forgiveness, and forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness and they still, all they see is the hate that they had and they, they, they put it on Joseph and said, surely he's going to hate us. There was nothing that he had done from chapters 45 to 50 that would suggest that he hated them. There was nothing that he had done that would say, you know what, he's still holding a grudge. Everything that he had done was toward the end of showing them, I love you, I forgive you, I care for you. God had a bigger plan for this. And his response, his response is forgiveness. His response is to weep When you respond to God, when you approach God, do you see his mercy or do you see your guilt? Now it's important that we reckon with our sin. But we reckon with our sin in order order to come to God, to bring it to him, and to ask for forgiveness. But some of us in this room, we see God not as the God who has saved us and forgiven us, but we see him as as the one who hates us. And, And we either come to him reluctantly or we don't come to him at all but but he's a loving forgiving god who who forgives those who come and trust in him joseph weeps and he extends reconciliation reassurance and he gives us reasons in verses 19, 19 to 20 he says do not fear am, am i in the place of God? Deeper words have never been spoken. Am I in the place of God? This was the question that he was having to ask himself over and over and over. He's sold into slavery and his opportunity to get bitter and angry and vengeful. But he says, am I in the place of God? He goes and he, he works for Potiphar and he's, he's his name is besmirched is and he's sent to prison. And in that moment, he could get bitter and angry and angry at God. He could say, this is not right. This is what things should look like. But he says, am I in the place of God? And the answer is no. And he looks at the circumstances and they're not good. The Bible does not do something weird and say, you know what? It wasn't actually that bad, Joseph and, and Joseph says, oh, you're right, it was, it was pretty good. No, it is a terrible circumstance after terrible circumstance after terrible circumstance, but in each of those, he recognizes this is a terrible circumstance that God has allowed me to be in and am, am I in the place of God? No. So he reassures them, you know, another person might take justice into his own hands. Another person might try to vindicate him or herself, but I am not in the place of God. Now, family, this does not mean that God overlooks sin or that we should just be, take, uh, give a blind eye to, to wickedness in the world. What this What this points to is the fact that we are all sinners in need of a savior and we need to trust our God to be bigger than the evil in the world. Doesn't mean we don't speak out against evil. I mean, Joseph wasn't agreeing with what they did. He didn't say what you did was not bad, but he was saying that God's goodness was bigger than your badness. He says, I'm not God. This is one of the reasons why I'm not going to judge you and I'm gonna care for you. The second reason he says is that, listen to this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is such an important moment in the life of Joseph because he's recognizing, well, this is actually the second time he does it in scripture, but he's recognizing that God's plan is bigger than the world's brokenness. God's plan is bigger than, than the real, earthy, you know, ground level evil in the world. The Bible, it doesn't, the writers of scripture, they don't fake it, they don't say, you know what, if you trust in God, good things will happen and bad things will never happen. If anyone tries to tell you that that's what the gospel is, they're lying and they're trying to manipulate you. The, the thing about Christianity, the thing about God is that he is with us in the middle of the suffering and he promises a bigger picture than just what here and now offers. And so he says, God meant this for good. You may be in a circumstance that is legitimately bad. You may have people in your life who are doing evil things in your life. That does not negate the fact that God is still at work. And in fact, the, the hope that we have the, the, the only thing that can really anchor us to reality is knowing that in the middle of suffering, in the middle of pain, in the middle of trials and tribulation, God is not only there, but he's at work. We talked about it last week. Pastor Jim talked about it. But sometimes when we feel, uh, when we experience trouble or suffering, we want to say, God, get us out of this. But if you read the Bible, if you read especially the New Testament, he's not very interested in getting us out of things. Paul doesn't pray, please get them out, deliver them, bring them out. <clears throat> he says, help them through it. Help them to see your glory through it. Help them to know you through it. Yes. My first, <laughs> my first uh, sermon that I ever preached was in college. I, the pastor was, I don't know if he was short on time or something, but he let me preach a sermon. And for whatever reason, I had no idea what I was doing. So I preached on James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you feast trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. What am I talking about? I was a 20 year old know nothing. I'd never been through anything. And I was like, you know what, guys? Consider it pure joy. It's easy. Trust me. I've got debt, it's hard. But, but that's what he says. And, and it's easy to say, yeah, I agree with you when life is going easy and you're hanging out with friends and your biggest problem is what you're going to eat on Friday night. But he doesn't just say it for those moments. He says it when you lose your job. He says it when your spouse betrays you. He says it when your family member dies. He says, consider it pure joy, not because those things are now good, but because God is... God is, he is working through that for your good. So Joseph, though he's wounded, he's seeking to heal his brothers because he understands that God had a purpose that was bigger than their evil. I I, I just wanna pause in this moment again. Your God has to be bigger than the evil in your world. If If God's plan doesn't include, uh, hear me, if God's plan doesn't include the evil and the suffering that you experience, then God is not strong enough to help you through the suffering and evil that you experience. It, it, It may seem a little uncomfortable to say that God's plan includes the bad things that's happened in your life. But by saying that, we're not saying that God is therefore trying to do evil in your life. He, in his infinite wisdom, is allowing evil to come into your life, allowing suffering to come into your life, to produce something in you that would never otherwise be produced. To make something of you that would never otherwise be produced. And to show something of his goodness and his glory that you would never even want to see, apart from the, the situations that he puts you in. I can tell you from personal experience through some of the things that I've gone through and my wife has gone through uh, in in health issues and challenges and trials that there are things that we never would have asked for. Never. And even afterwards, I'm not like, you know what? If I could go back five years from now, I would totally ask for these situations. No, I probably wouldn't because God's still working on me and I'm not asking for struggles. And I'm not asking you to ask for struggles. What we're not doing is saying, all right, everybody, let's go pray for tough times. (laughs) That's not what we're doing. But what we are doing is saying that I recognize in the moment of tough times that, God, you are at work, that there's a grace for me in this, and that I can do something besides just try to escape. And in that moment, God is going to reveal himself, reveal his, the depth of his love. You know, Paul talked about wanting to participate in the afflictions of Christ, which that sounds super like holy and awesome, but let's just, just listen to that. I want to participate take part in complete the affix- afflictions of Christ and mother. He was saying I want to make sure that the suffering that Christ experienced that 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 I experience the same sorts of suffering in order to be made like Christ. No. <laughs> I am not praying that prayer. I should be. That is a good thing. But but that's that's the the challenge that that scripture is trying to get us to. Joseph recognizes that one, he is not God, and two, that God, the real God, had a plan and a purpose for this, and so he was able to say, you know what, I'm, don't fear, and so he responds and he says, it says in verse 21, thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now when I first read this, I put myself in Joseph's position. You know what? Yeah, life is tough sometimes. God's going to be with me and he's going to vindicate me. I started reading. I was like, you know what? I might be one of the brothers. And and the reality is, while I think there's application for us to see Joseph as us, I think Joseph was intended to point us not to ourselves but to a a greater Savior. Joseph was, was intended to point to someone who would experience greater suffering and greater rejection and who would offer greater mercy. So you and I, we, we come to Jesus, we say, help me. And even our prayers for help oftentimes don't dig deep enough to, to the level of our actual need. And, and our eyes don't look high enough to the grace that he offers. And like, like the brothers, we come and we say, please, please don't hate us. Yeah. Please don't hate us. And you see in the New Testament, Jesus looking over Jerusalem and what? Weeping. If you had just, if you could just see how much I loved you. If you could just see. And in the same way that Joseph's heart was broken for his brother's inability to receive the grace that he was offering. Jesus, his heart is broken for his people. And he says, I I offer forgiveness. You see, Jesus lived a similar life of of being rejected by his family, of being rejected by his friends, and he he experiences a similar humiliation of going to the cross and dying a, a, a criminal's death, a grisly, painful, torturous death. And he comes back to life. And and, you know, to the point that he says in in Matthew twenty eight, All authority is given to me. He's not he's not Pharaoh's second in command. He is God vindicated. Right? It's a bad day when your enemy comes back from the dead, because you got nothing at that point. You know, you can have the biggest missile, and if death doesn't do it, you're out of luck. And what does he do? He comes and he comforts and he forgives. And today, if you are in a place where you recognize that there are things where you have expressed hate towards God, you have expressed disobedience towards God, the Bible says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We're all in the position of the brothers. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I have a grace for you. I have a forgiveness for you because of my life and my death and my resurrection. Jesus offers salvation to us. He forgives us despite our sin. Jesus, like Joseph, is a wounded healer, but he is the ultimate wounded healer. Have you been to the wounded healer? Maybe you're in a situation like Joseph and and you are struggling through God's sovereignty, through suffering. My encouragement would be to run to God. Now, the bad news is that God doesn't always give us his reasoning for allowing things in our life. In fact, most of the time, I would say he doesn't give us his reasoning and his explanations for the things that we experience. But what he does give us is his presence. What he does give us is his comfort. What he does give us is his love. If that's you, run to the wounded healer. And if you're in this room and and you recognize that like the brothers, you have hated God you have run from God you have disobeyed God and and you don't really even know how to approach him my encouragement to you would be to go to him and just ask for forgiveness see what he'll say the Bible says that if, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we repent that he is faithful and just to forgive he's willing to forgive he wants to forgive would you come to him Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the life of Joseph, the life of a man whose character prefigured the person of Jesus Christ, whose righteousness gave us a picture of the God who would come and become man, who would live a righteous life, whose suffering gives us a picture of the suffering that Christ would experience on the cross, and whose vindication gives us a picture of the vindication of Christ rising from the dead, offering eternal life to those who would believe. If you're in the room and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never come to the wounded healer as one of the brothers, would you raise your hand? Could I pray for you? Could today be the day that you respond and receive salvation? Great, once that's hands up, you can put it back down. If you raise your hand, would you just pray with me? Jesus, I, I come to you and I recognize that I am a sinner, I have disobeyed your rules, your laws. I've run from you. I've, I've hated you in, in my heart. And I, I turn away from that and I ask for mercy. I ask for you to forgive me and for you to give me new life, a life where, where I am united with you and I trust you as my Lord, as the one who rules my life. Thank you for your salvation. Lord God, we, we thank you for your salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you, family.